Ephesians chapter 6. Go to verse 10, please. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's March. March Madness. It's the biggest month for college basketball. Even if you're not a basketball fan, hang with me. There's something to learn. The players are intense. They're pouring out their hearts. Most of them will never be in the NBA. This is their last hurrah. It's their last opportunity to be on the court and compete at this level. This last week, there was a huge upset. The number one seed lost to the number 16 seed. Fairlane Dickinson, never heard of him, beat Purdue. What in the world happened? The odds, less than 3% that Purdue would lose that game. Skill-wise, technically, they shouldn't have won, but they did win. In fact, only one other time in the history of the tournament has this happened. Now, of course, the underdog was hoping for the upset, gunning for the upset. You know what that's about. But still, they shouldn't have won. What happens? Well, Purdue didn't think they needed their A game. They underestimated their opponents. And they showed up with their C game or their D game, and they lost. They lost, this, they lost their, their future, really, for, for this season. So it is with us and our opponent, the devil. Skill-wise, technically, he shouldn't win. He shouldn't have defeats, shouldn't have victory over us. But what happens when he does? Because you know and I know that sometimes his darts get through. He sticks it to us. We're wounded. When that happens, it's because we underestimated our enemy. We didn't bring our A game. We thought that we could just wear part of our armor. We thought we could let our guard down. And we're reminded once again not to underestimate our opponent, the evil one, and all those who work for his wicked purposes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Have we become... Have you become ignorant 
of the way Satan works, of his devices. How he attacks, when he attacks. Do we start thinking, it's impossible that the devil would do that much damage, that he would hurt us very badly. Think again. This portion of scripture speaks about the wiles of the devil. Wily. Who do you think of when I say the word wily? It's that same as me. I think of wily coyote. Maybe this is one of the reasons why it doesn't get through to us that Satan is indeed a formidable strategist. Because we think of wily as it speaks of the wiles of the devil, and we think of the cartoon coyote, wily coyote, and his plans never seem to go very well. They backfire on him every time that I've seen. And even as he's constructing his plan to take out the roadrunner, who obviously isn't the brightest, isn't the strongest, even as he's putting together his plans, what are you doing and what am I doing? You're laughing in advance because you know that Wiley Coyote is, it's going to backfire on him. The devil is not like Wiley Coyote. He is, has been doing what he does for thousands and thousands of years. He is a tactician. He is an expert even at warfare. What happens in the church? Well, there are the erroneous extremes. I hope that you see them. I see them over and over again. There are many times when the church finds itself too far one way or too far the other way. One extreme says that there is a demon under every seat in church. And the other extreme says, we don't really need to have our guard up that much when it comes to the devil. The extreme over here says, he's Jesus's arch nemesis. The extreme over here says he's Wiley Coyote, right? He's really not that dangerous. He's really not that destructive. Those are the erroneous extremes. What is the biblical balance? The biblical balance is this, that when you are wearing the armor of God, you can stand against the wiles of the devil. And when you are not wearing the armor of God and you are operating in your own strength, you cannot stand against the wiles of the devil. And so the Lord gives us this equipment so that we can learn how to live out verse 10. It said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So instead of being out to one of those wacky extremes and giving the devil more of a place than he should have or giving him not enough of a consideration as far as our protection, let's go to what God's word says and see what it says about our armor. Victorious Christian living involves readiness. It involves vigilance, the vigilance of a soldier, the vigilance of a watchman. Is that the way we live our lives? As soldiers, as those who are very prepared, as those who don't leave any part of their armor behind. Let's have an accurate understanding of who we face. Victory in the mind and the heart. Victories by Jesus the righteous, our salvation and our truth. 16 said this, says this, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Point number one, quench all darts with the shield of faith. 
This is where we left off from our last session, quenching all darts with the shield of faith. Isn't that what the word says here? That no dart gets through when we walk by faith. We have victory every time when we are walking by faith. But if we get out from behind faith and we start to walk by sight, we get stuck every single time. This is what the word is saying. Faith in self equals defeat. Faith in God equals victory. The shield of faith. We've been singing about the Lord being our defense. Faith in him, not confidence in ourselves. Staying behind the Lord. Staying with the Lord in our faith. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exults, and, I, and with my song, I shall thank him. Once again, when you put out your shield of faith, you're putting on Jesus. Didn't the verse just say that Jesus is my strength, and Jesus, the Lord, is my shield? He is my shield. So this is the way it works. The Lord's out front. Our confidence is in him. And every time there's a dart, we're just sitting right there in the protection of our faith in him, saying, whew, Lord, I give you praise, I give you thanks, because once again, you've guarded me. Standing in the Lord. Maybe you know it well, I hope you do, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Just like all the fiery darts are blocked, in Christ, when I'm walking in the Spirit, when I'm walking by faith, then there we have the victory. There's not a temptation that you can't conquer through Christ. There's not a thought that you can't bring into submission. All the fiery darts are quenched. The Lord is batting a thousand. And in my own strength, can I even bat 200? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean a little on your own understanding. No, Proverbs 3, 5 says, lean not on your own understanding. All your heart, all your trust, all your faith, in the Lord, going up against the evil one, going up against temptation, going up against your own flesh. Here is the faith described. But how about when you do get hit? Because the point of application here is quench all the darts with the shield of faith. That is true. When we're in faith, all the darts are quenched. But how about when we get hit and we get hit multiple times and we're wounded and we're hurting are you doomed? Are you done? The devil would have you believe exactly that. He is the accuser of the brethren. He wants to condemn you. And when you and I are hit with the devil's darts, he tells us the next temptation is not only did I win that battle, that skirmish, you could put it that way, but now, look, you're such a loser, you may as well not move on at all. You may as well just stay where you are. I'm reminded of what it says in Genesis chapter 50, verse, verse 20, that what you meant against me for evil, God meant for good. I'm reminded of Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and for called, who are called according to his purpose. So even the wounded soldier, and maybe even all the more the wounded soldier, can give glory to God and be used by God. Because when 
the arrows are being blocked, let's admit it, we're feeling pretty good. But it's when we get wounded and the hopelessness starts to set in because our eyes aren't on the Lord and we're not behind the shield of faith and we start to think that we're done. I don't know how he is going to use those wounds for good. To me, they just seem like shame. But you and I must hunker down behind faith, behind faith in the Lord. If you are saved this morning, you were saved by grace through faith. And if you are walking with the Lord this morning, he is bringing you from faith to faith. You are growing in faith. You started in faith. And he's going to complete you by faith. Mike Slade, um, my mentor in the Lord and my brother in the Lord, would often sing, often sings a song by Danny Daniels. And these are the words, I am a wounded soldier, but I will not leave the fight because the great physician is healing me. So I'm standing in the battle in the armor of his light because his mighty power is real in me. I am loved. I am accepted by the savior of my soul. I am loved. I am accepted and my wounds will be made whole. Here is the shield of faith. And the Lord is telling you and me, hold it up. Above all, it is your best defense against the fiery arrows of the devil. We sang the song this last Thursday night from Psalm chapter three. Thou, O Lord, are a shield about me. Roman shields were usually pretty flat. Some people have even described them that they were kind of like a door, maybe a little more narrow, maybe not quite as high, a door being what, six, eight. They were more like four or five feet this way, a couple feet wide, flat. And so I'm thinking, how is the Lord going to be a shield about us? Because arrows come from the side, they come from above, they come from all over the place. The Roman soldiers didn't use their shields individually most of the time. They would connect them to their comrade next to them, and they would literally be a marching wall. Some have said, I'm too into warfare, but that's the way it worked. They were a unit. So they would connect their shields and they would push forward. It wasn't this individual Hollywood dancing around with your opponent off on the side. No, it was a wall of shields that came against. And at times, they could even build a box out of their shields, tipping them to the sides and up above, and they would make their own fortress, a shield about me. There is the Lord. It is not faith in each other, it's faith in him. It's not faith in faith, it's faith in Jesus. At the same time, our faith in the Lord together is stronger. Together is the way we were meant to operate. So take up that shield of faith, quench all the darts of the wicked one. When you're wounded, run to the Lord and remember that he can even use, he even does use, your weakness to prove his strength. He'll give you beauty for ashes. The beginning of 17, verse 17, says this, and take the helmet of salvation. Head protection, mind protection, thought protection. Isn't that what the Bible speaks of here? Take the helmet, wear the helmet. Why wear it? Well, one of Satan's favorite strategies is to go after your mind, is to go after your thoughts. He's an opportunist. 
So he looks for that opening. And although he can't read your minds, he hears your words, he knows your attitude, he sees your circumstances, and he interjects, he puts into your mind, into your heart, thoughts. We need protection when it comes to how we think. Your mentality, your thought process, your philosophy of life, your worldview, the way you think is of the utmost importance. Your mind is not a playground. It's a battleground. The devil wants to convince us that it's just something to be toyed with, that our thoughts and the ways that we're tempted can be just kept to the confines of our minds. But God tells us the truth, that our thoughts and our minds given over to him are very important. It's not a mystery to Satan and his principalities that our minds are a battleground. It's not a mystery to him, these spiritual hosts in heavenly places. They know. And think of this, on top of it, we're living in the evil day. Doesn't the word speak of that? So Satan has, what does the evil day mean again? It means he's the prince of the power of the air. It means he is controlling the overall atmosphere in the world. So he's using the evil day. He's using principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts in heavenly places, and he is capitalizing on our thought process. Has the flow of the world going down the drain? How does the devil know that our minds are a battleground? Well, the Bible says it. And did not the devil quote scripture to Christ himself as he tempted him in the wilderness? Jesus wasn't the only one who quoted the word of God. The devil knows the Bible. He knows it better than I do. He knows it better than you do. And he sees that your mind is a battleground, and so he takes advantage of that. This is what our maker clearly tells us in his word. Listen to this. I know you've probably heard it before, but listen. Understanding the mind. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect and the perfect will of God. God is telling you and me that we need our minds transformed, that we need them renewed. We need to think differently, not according to our desires, not according to the enemy's temptations. Now, we don't begin with renewed minds. We are given renewed minds by the power of the Spirit, and we must allow God to make our minds new again. Listen to this saying, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. God's the only one who's really telling you the truth, that your thoughts determine much of your life and the way you live it out, the thoughts that you entertain, the thoughts that you make way for, your dreams, your hopes, which thoughts develop, determine much of how you will live out your life. And then how can your actions be disconnected from the character? Hopefully that's a godly character and not evil character, but our actions determine the kind of character we have. 
And if we're not living for the Lord, we're saved by faith. At the same time, as Christians, we're people of character. Our destiny hinges on our thoughts. Now, even though our thoughts are important, we can't approach this as merely thought control. Your mind and your heart are not independent of each other. So how you think greatly affects the desires of your heart. And the desires of your heart greatly affect how you think. Try to sort that out to some extent. When you want something, when you desire it in your heart, your thought process is skewed towards that, isn't it? And when you think something, when you have those thoughts, your desires begin to line up with those thoughts also. So they're not independent of each other. Guard your mind. Guard your thoughts. Listen to this proverb, Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Marcus Aurelius was one of the so-called good emperors of the Roman Empire, even though he persecuted the church much. He pulled a lot of his philosophy from Christianity. And this is what Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome, said. We become what we think about. My mind and my heart are intertwined, so are yours. My thoughts and my desires are interwoven, so it is with you also. And our thoughts either feed or starve our desires. I have an old man. He's the old Eddie. You have an old self, an old man, an old woman. And your thoughts either feed the old man or starve the old man. Isn't that true? He or she either gets bigger and more powerful and more dominant. Our thoughts, what a battleground. So point number two is take the helmet of salvation to protect your mind. Think about this. Your salvation began with repentance. What does repentance mean? Metanoia, it means a change of mind. You chose to put your trust in Jesus a change in mind that leads to a change in heart. You had to decide to follow Jesus, a transformed mind. But we also need continual renewal, as we read in Romans 12 too. Obviously, the helmet protects your mind, the helmet of salvation. It protects the center of your thoughts. The enemy wants to control your thoughts he wants to dictate your thoughts, but put on the helmet of salvation. When it comes to helmets, isn't it true sometimes that we grudge the protection? You think of helmets in a lot of different contexts. I don't want to wear my helmet. I just want my wind-blown hair to flap about. I, I want to be free. I don't want the sweaty, cumbersome helmet on my head. I don't want the bondage of the helmet, so I want to take it off. But this is the truth. If you don't wear the helmet, your head's not just going to hit the asphalt. If you don't wear the helmet, your head's not just going to hit the ice or the snow. If you don't wear the helmet, the fiery darts of the evil one are coming straight for you. And we're defenseless. So we're to wear the helmet of salvation, are we not? Now, why the helmet of salvation? How does the helmet of salvation protect your mind? Salvation, your salvation, reminds you of your identity. 
It reminds you of who you are. Your salvation reminds you that you belong to Jesus, that your standing is in him, not in the flesh, not in your own righteousness. Salvation reminds you that you are blood-bought, that you're so precious to God that he was pinned to a tree in your place. Your salvation reminds you of who you really are in Christ. The devil wants to get a hold of identity. He's gotten so bold in the last few years that he calls it exactly that. How do you identify, right? And he wants your temptation to define you. He wants your sin to define you. He wants you to think in terms of your stumbling and say, that's who you are. That's your name tag. What you struggle with is who you are, is what the enemy says. But with the helmet of salvation, we remember, I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. He died for my sins and he rose again on the third day. The prince of the power of the air does not own me. So in this manner, remembering our salvation and living in our salvation re-identifies us. Actually, we keep our identity, but it reminds us of our true identity. This is who I am. The word clearly tells us, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I've taught it once, I'll teach it again. Is what you're about to do, is what you're about to think consistent with the fact that you're a Christian? Do you think of yourself as a Christian? Here I am, Christian Eddie, thinking this way? That's not me. Here I am, Christian Eddie, acting that way? That's not me. People remind me that I'm a pastor sometimes. Should a pastor act that way? And you know me, I'm a smart mouth. Should a Christian act that way? Yes, I want to have godly character, but as the one who is bought with the precious blood of Jesus, Should we be thinking this way? Should we be acting this way? Should we have these kind of desires? The helmet of salvation reminds us of who we are. If you are wearing the helmet of salvation, this is you. I go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption, as sons, by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Christian, that's you, holy and blameless. Not because you really are holy and blameless, but because Jesus paid for your sin at the cross. That is you, predestined, chosen, and adopted. That is your identity. Do not find your identity in anything else. It's dangerous. Even before you're a husband or a father or a mother or a son or a daughter, you're a follower of Jesus. You are his purchased possession. You belong to him. And when those thoughts come to your mind about your identity, who you are, how to live, put on that, keep on that helmet of salvation. And since You are saved, if you are saved. You are the temple of the Spirit. Are you not? Does that belong in God's temple? 
is the question. Do you see yourself how Jesus sees you? Put on the helmet of salvation. What protection there is in that helmet? Middle of 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I don't know if you've been dreading this one or if you've been waiting for this one with delight. Some people are of the mindset that they're just thinking, I don't want to be a soldier. Are you like that? I don't want to fight. I don't want to be in the battle. The battle's there, and you are a soldier. But there's also something that comes to delight when it comes to the sword. And maybe you're like this where you think like, yes, finally I get to do some damage. Finally I get to throw some blows. Finally I get to do something destructive, right? Well, this isn't the kind of destruction that feeds my natural man's thirst. Let's put it that way. You cannot do without the sword. Maybe you're eager to learn of it. Maybe you're scared. But you cannot do without being well-trained with the sword. It's good to have it in its scabbard. It's good to have it on your belt. But you must be well-trained in using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I just realized what a dork I am. I wrote, we must be well-versed in the Word of God, right? No double meaning intended, but there is a meaning there, isn't it? Well-versed in the Word of God. Do you know the verses? Do you know the truth? Can you wield the sword well? Is it rusty? Is it dusty? Can you find it? Is it ready? Is it in you? Is it affecting the way you think, the way you walk, the way you relate to the Lord? Get the book in you, in your mind and in your heart. Study it, read it, memorize it, dwell in it. Be really, really good at handling this weapon. Not marginally good at it. This is true of any weapon. You can be good at one time, and then if you don't do it for a while, you get pretty weak, pretty rusty. If you've ever been good at wielding any weapon, you know what that's like. Well, there is a certain element of this is familiar to me when you pick it back up again, right? But it's not where you left off. Don't be that believer who says, there was at one time when I pressed in hard and his word was in me and I was using it so well. But now I've got all that banked up from years ago and I'm just living on that. I went to the batting cages six or eight months ago and I was shocked. This 70 mile an hour fastball was like 100 miles an hour to me. I jumped in there and I thought, man, I can hit. It's like, this is, I grew up hitting. I couldn't hit very well. It was like I was looking around hoping nobody was watching me. It hurts when you swing and miss, right? You're back and like, man, this is terrible. This is like throwing right down the middle every time. This, is, this should be easy for me. Just because you walked in the word, you studied the word, you memorized the word at one time doesn't mean that you're still wielding it well. Maybe you've never gotten in there to the place where you're dwelling on it, you're memorizing it. You hear it and you like to hear it rightly divided, but it's not dwelling in you. Do that. It's an appetite, isn't it? 
And if you don't feed that appetite, then your hunger for the word of God gets weak, and then pretty soon you're not in it anymore. I'm realizing this so much. I don't dwell in the word of God enough. Yes, because of, of what I do as a pastor, I need to study it a lot. Otherwise, I'll have nothing to say to you. But that's not the same thing as dwelling in God's word all day long. That's not the same thing as fellowshipping with the Lord through his truth all throughout my day. Because like you, I'm a thinker. I'm an analyzer. I'm a worrier. And instead, I must dwell. I should be dwelling in God's word, having a song on my heart, dwelling richly in what he has given to me here. So it is good to have prepared food. I continue to ask a lot of you, many of you, about your individual time with God, and you continue to tell me about the sermons that you listen to. I don't, I'm not saying sermons are bad, obviously, but how about your individual time with God? Can you prepare God's word? Can you open it up and have the Spirit, because it's the Spirit speaking to us through the Word of God, and rightly divide it. Are you becoming a swordsman? If you don't wield the Word of God, then it will not be familiar to you. You know what it's like when you can't even get your weapon out quickly enough? You've got it with you, but you, you're not used to drawing. Read the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Every time the devil showed up, Jesus answered him with the Word of God. He said, it is written, Lagos. But then he wielded the word of God, Rhema, in an applicable way. The written word of God, we memorize it, we dwell on it. Here, it is Rhema, meaning the word of God applied to the specific situation, the specific occasion, the specific temptation. This is what it means to wield the sword well. Lagos, written word, rhema, applicable word. I'm ready for the situation. I'm ready for the temptation. I know which, in which manner I should use the sword. Do you have the rhema of God at ready, at the ready, ready to use? A word fitly spoken. Jesus, logos and rhema. He knows exactly what to say to the devil when that temptation comes his way. The Lord tempted in all points, it says in the book of Hebrews, in all points, as we are tempted, Jesus tempted. But we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So wield the word of God in a timely manner, in an applicable manner, towards temptation, even towards the enemy. Jesus did that. To not wield the word of God is to ask for defeat to not have it at the ready is to know that we will be put down. We'll be experiencing many wounds and defeat, a lot of heartache. Again, we're putting on Jesus, aren't we? When we pick up the sword, Jesus is the word of God made flesh. He is my salvation. He is my light and my salvation, right? He is indeed, as we back up even farther into the very first topic, he is my defense, he is my shield. But is he not the word? Yes, he is. He is 
the word come to us in person to preach, to live out the truth of his life? Will you go up against the enemy without Jesus? That'd be foolishness, wouldn't it? And so he gives us his word. There's a lot to study about how to wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But this week, this day, how can you be better at wielding the word of God? Is there something that you can do? Is there a way you can dwell in it? Is there a way you can memorize it? Can you take this passage? Is it worth your memorization? Can you speak of it in your house? Can you put it in your mind? Can you allow the Lord to use it to defeat your fears and your worry and your temptations to be like the world? What will it be today? What will it be this week? Part of the reason we move straight through the word of God is so that we see the power and the might of God right here in his word, not in all those little 30-second clips. I've got that app on my phone that I think most of you guys have, and I'm frustrated with it because I can't get to the Bible. It's like three layers in. It's got quotes from this person and that person and songs and little sermonettes. I'm like, I want the Bible, right? It's, I want to get to God's word. When I type in a reference, I don't want what somebody said about it. I want the reference. Living in God's word, wielding the Spirit, wielding the word of God through the Spirit. Oh God, we pray for your eyes, your ears, your way of living. We lift our voices to you before we go our separate ways and we cry out to you. We find all of our answers in you. You haven't left us without. We open up your word and we see how it's so alive right to where we're living. We come to you as our defense. We come to you as, as the one who quenches the darts that we could never quench. We thank you for the reminder of who we are, Lord, your possession. Help us to stand against the evil one in this truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.